Hi there, and welcome to another episode of African Business Stories. Africa is the only region in the world where more women than men choose to be entrepreneurs. What this says to me is that the story of business in Africa is the story of the African businesswoman. So we're on a journey of discovery to find these women and tell their stories. On the show, we will hear from female innovators and entrepreneurs building and running businesses in Africa. They will share the highs and lows of their entrepreneurial journey and lessons learned along the way. Some of these women you may know and many you may not, but I assure you that all their stories are inspiring in their own right. My hope is that these stories will inspire you to reach for your dreams and leave a legacy for generations to come. It makes such a big difference to us if you can rate, review, and share our episodes. You can do this mainly on Apple Podcasts, and you can find us on all podcast platforms. If you're in Africa, Spotify is now available, so check us out there. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. On the show today, I'll be chatting with Fatmata Binta. Most people call her Chef Binta. She's the founder and CEO of Fulani Kitchen. Fulani Kitchen offers nomadic pop-up dining experiences in Ghana. Chef Binta is Fulani, and promoting her culture is at the core of everything she does. So today, we learn not only about her business, but about her heritage and culture and how she has used food as a bridge between communities. It was incredibly insightful, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Let's get into it. Hi, Binta. Welcome to African Business Stories. Thank you for having me. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. We've been trying to do this. I think this is the fourth or fifth time (laughs) we've tried to do this, so I'm, I'm glad that we could finally get together. Finally, I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So, so you were born in Sierra Leone to Guinean parents. Um, just for the benefit of our listeners, Guinea is, is, is a country in West Africa. Yes. And you have neighbors like Senegal, Mali, and Ivory Coast and, and all that. And, and I was wondering, how, how did your parents come to, to move to, or why did your parents move from, from Guinea to, to Sierra Leone? So um, it was more about finding um, a better life, um, trying to change the ways of um, the nomadic life. They were tired and then they wanted something different. And also it was also focused on education because mostly the nomads, because they move from one place to another, they don't focus much on education. And my parents' generation, they decided that we want our kids to go to school. We want something different. So... And the only way to make that happen um, is to move to a city. And then because for my dad and mom, their um, elder brothers and sisters, we are already settled in Sierra Leone. So it was easy for them to just join them in Sierra Leone and, and settle. So you are actually Fulani? Yes, Fulani. Both mom and dad, they are Fulani. So I'm, I'm 100% a Fulani woman. <laughs> Wow, that's that's interesting. You know, gr- growing up, we learned a lot about the Fulani culture, the clothes, the music, 
but not so much about food. So it's interesting to, to be having this conversation today. So when you were growing up, what did you want to be when you, you, you were younger? I wanted to be a lawyer. And I actually think I, I made my, my way close to it because um, I studied international relations. And that part of it, yeah, you cover law. So I was on that path until um, 2011 when I moved to Madrid, Spain. And I was teaching English to make a living, you know, being abroad in a country that English is not the first language. And I, I'm not, I have, like, I don't speak Spanish. I was looking for a way to just um, survive. So I started teaching English and at some point I lost my job and I had to find another way of making a living. And that's where food um, came in. So I started making sandwiches and selling to IE business school students and also prepare hmm. African um, dishes, the ones they miss, um, the Nigerian dishes, Ghanaian dishes. And then I'll prepare that to like a weekly meal prep for them. And then I remember delivering the sandwiches within one hour, all my sandwiches were gone. So for me, that's where I had an aha moment that this is something that would work. I've always known that. I've always loved cooking. I've always known that that's something I'm very, very passionate about. But because of, you know, coming from an African background, your parents expect you to follow a particular path. So I was slow to really embrace my passion. Wow. So, so when, you, when you had that aha moment and you decided maybe I can do something with this, what did you do about it? I, decided, I, packed, I packed my bags and went to culinary school. Because I didn't want to just um, cook. I wanted it as a profession. I wanted to learn all the basics. Um, because for me, it was I was going against my parents. So if I was going to do that, I have to do it well. So that it was almost like I was trying to prove a point also. Um, showing them that this is not just cooking. This is art. This is, is something serious. You can... You can really create food and make other people happy. It's, it's meditation for me. That's how I consider cooking. So I decided to go to chef school. I spent two years um, wow. working hotels, came back to Ghana. So I went to Nairobi. I studied in Nairobi, came back to Ghana, um, worked in hotels, and then got bored at some point because it was I was following a routine. And for me, I have that struggle. I get bored easily. And um, full and food is something I grew up eating. And it, it's not just about the food. It's about the tradition, also the food culture. And these days, you don't see that anymore. Most people are doing grab and go, moving. The world is moving so fast. You hardly find people sitting together and sharing food, especially the traditional way. And for me, it was very important to share that to the world because that's my own way of preserving um, the food culture that I, I cherish so, so much. I grew up with, and those are my fondest memories. Is there a reason why you picked Nairobi to go to, to culinary schools? So I wanted to go to Greece. Um, the school I applied to was in Greece. But then they had just opened a branch in Nairobi. And during that time also, um, economy-wise, okay. it was bad in Europe. And um, they were going through that, um, yeah, economical problems. So the school advised that we actually, we've just opened a campus 
in Nairobi. They were also trying to get more students to sign up for the Nairobi campus. And they were like, since you're from Africa, why not sign up to the school that is close to you? And at some, at the, in the beginning, I wasn't happy about that. I was like, I, I really want, because I had this perception that if you want to go to culinary school, you have to go to Europe. But then um, I thought about it and uh, I left, went to Nairobi and I loved it. Like, that's my favorite, one of my favorite cities in the world. I enjoyed living in Nairobi wow. up to now until COVID. I used to go every year. I just love it. That's awesome. So so how did you then pick? So you finish, you, you go to, to Nairobi, you go to culinary school, have a great time. And then you moved to Ghana. So how did you come to pick Ghana? Why not Sierra Leone or, or Guinea? So when I was leaving Spain, because um, there was a point where I was supposed to go back to Sierra Leone, I couldn't go back because there was Ebola. So I came to Ghana and I settled. I kind of got used to Ghana, the structure. I had a structure here and uh, I left here for Nairobi. So and looking back at how I, I my network was already I'd, I'd established net, my network here I, I just decided you know let me just come back because I'm emotionally connected to Accra right now at this point in my life so that's why I, I returned to Accra. Okay and what did you do when you what what year was this when you finished culinary school and moved back to, to Ghana? It was in 2015 that's when I moved back so when I finished in Nairobi, I worked there and then moved to Ghana and then started working. And then Fulani Kitchen was born in 2017, slowly. And then end of 2017 was, yeah, was when I decided to quit hotel jobs completely and just dive in um, fully into promoting okay. Fulani Kitchen, which was very slow in the beginning because you're promoting something people hardly know anything about. And I remember the first event I promoted, mm. nobody signed up. Nobody signed up. And what I did, I invited my friends over to eat the food. I spread the mats in my living room, took photos, posted them on social media. That's also another value that social media brings. And then I remember sharing online saying that, thank you so much for showing up for our event. It was fully booked. Um, we look forward to hosting you to the next one. And it's good. It was it wasn't booked at all it was just my friend wow. promoting helping me push it and then people started reacting to it like what how did i miss this <laughs> oh my goodness what a start of story okay so i know there's fulani kitchen and there's dine on a mat so tell us about fulani kitchen you know what fulani kitchen is about and the goal and then we'll come to talk about dine on a mat so it's actually the same. So we have Fulani Kitchen, and the so Fulani Kitchen covers Fulani cuisine, um, the culture, the traditions, the the history, just everything that represents Fulani cuisine. Dine on a mat is just a tagline promoting our concept because we could have Fulani Kitchen and have people walking okay. and eat on the table. Well, because we are throwing the mats on the floor, the pillows, and have you sit on the mat and celebrate the traditions, the, the food culture of the Fulani people, that's why we try to really push um, on dying on a mat. And then, so we have Fulani Kitchen, we have Fulani Kitchen Foundation. That's the difference. 
Okay, so so what's the you are talking about this sitting on a mat? So what's the what's the type of experience that you try to give people when they come? Ah, my guests would say that it's memorable. Um, we really try to take you on a journey. <laughs> we try to mentally take you on a journey. Um, your taste buds on a journey. Um, the stories we will tell you on the mat. So it's not just about the food. You walk in, immediately you arrive, you're removing your shoes. And we even have like something that will welcome mm. you saying that the experience starts here. Please take off your shoes. So it's a different element that we've created to build the brand itself. Um, every dish is accompanied by a story and we do our research. So we, that's why one thing we've been doing, we've been traveling across Africa. We go to different Fulani communities. And also because I'm fluent in the language, that helps me a lot. So I do a lot of research, go to the keepers of the cuisine, learn from, from them. Because one thing, as much as it's actually the largest nomadic tribe in Africa, we are about 47, 45, 47 million people. And we move a lot. So a lot of it tends to change. So a Fulani from Senegal, it's a little bit different from the Fulani in Ghana or in Sierra Leone. So that's where I like, that's why I've been documenting, trying to see the similarities because I'm from Guinea. Um, my family's from Guinea, mm. but I was born in Sierra Leone, raised culturally um, as a Fulani um, kid. So I try to compare all these other communities to what I experienced growing up. So each event we, we host mm. is inspired by a different communities. So we'll travel, we'll go see how they are living, how right. is their food like, how is it close to ours? And then I come to test to the test kitchen and then create my own interpretation of that dish and, and, and host events inspired mm. by those places. And then also we document the original um, mm. recipes we usually learn from the grandmother in the village. That's, that's very interesting. I mean, I'll, I'll come back to your business, but just talking about, about mm. being Fulani, you know, um, my experience with Fulani culture was, you know, as a young child in, in school, you know, and the things you learned about. Mm. But then in, in recent times, when people hear Fulani, what comes to mind is not entirely positive, but it's, it's a rich culture. So I know that you do a lot of work, community work around food to help change your impact perception around the the Fulani. So can you talk to us a little bit about the community work that, that you're doing? Yeah, so mostly um, I've been working with NGOs. Um, recently I work with IWAD and the focus has been because um, mostly when you say Fulani, people just think of them as headsmen who are fighting, um, destroying farms. Right. So, and, and that's not always the case, honestly, because most times there are people who go around creating these problems and then blaming the Fulanis for it. But because of they also, they are always on the go. They don't have um, a home, a residence where they, they've stayed for long. People tend to just impose laws on them. And so like the, the, a lot of the structures are not in favor of them. So that's where I come in and then um, try to negotiate also create um, a peaceful environment. So we've been hosting like peace dinners where we'll bring the Fulanis and then the local chiefs and settle their disputes. You call them peace dinners? Yeah. Okay. Peace dinners. Yeah. 
one thing we believe food is, is so powerful it's it's a bridge always between conflict in general because i grew up also in sierra leone where we suffered civil war so i've seen firsthand how food can break down barriers and just and just connect people it doesn't matter your background so that's why i always use food as a means mm. to create yeah. a peaceful space for them to negotiate um, after having a meal then they can really talk so um what we've been doing um because also most times we they rear cattle for living and most of the times these cattle they are not even it doesn't even belong to them it's mostly owned by a politician or just a businessman in general but because they are so good at um rearing cattle they they tend mm. to outsource it to them they handle it so when these cattle um goes about uh, destroying farmlands um most times they'll just come and blame the fulanis and that has been creating a lot of issues in Ghana and just across Africa. So my focus has been mostly Ghana since I'm based here, um, working with local NGOs um, locally yeah. in terms of creating these dinners and settling these this, this disputes. Yeah. And then you also do a lot with the, the women in the Fulani community as well, don't you? Yes. So mostly the women is just to empower them, especially when it comes to grains like Fonio, which I'm very passionate about. Um, I was working with a, a company. I am working actually with a company called um, Sasu Fonio. The company is called Alanima, but the Fonio brand is called Sasu. So we try to encourage women to grow Fonio mm. because um, it's a superfood. Um, it's gaining a lot of attention around the world. Um, so what we do when we we grow the Fonio, um, the harvest, we, the supply there's a percentage that goes to this community in helping these women. So just going back to your business, you said that you're inspired to just teach people more about the Fulani culture through food. And I'm fascinated by the, the type of ingredients that, that you use in your cooking. For, for some of our listeners who, who may not even, I've seen some of the photos on your Instagram, they're absolutely amazing. But just if you can just talk to us a little Thank bit you. about how Fulani's preserve produce and, and the type of ingredients you use. Um, if we can just talk a little bit about that, that would be interesting to hear about. Our ingredients, our food in general, it's highly influenced by our lifestyle. And meaning our lifestyle is that we are people who are always on the go. We don't stay in one place for a long mm. time. Even though you have two different types of Fulanese, this is what people don't understand also. You have the nomads who are just going from one place to another. These are the people who don't believe in education and all of that. And then you have the ones who have settled, um, the residents. Fulanese. But mm -hmm. most of them, actually all of the Fulanese started as nomads and then decided to stay. So our ingredients um, broadly, our our dishes, everything is inspired by our lifestyle. We try to, we preserve a lot of our ingredients and the way we do it is we sun dry. So everything that we eat mm. is sun dried to beef, to spices, to herbs, to grains. Everything we sun dry, and even the way we build our homes is centered um, around that. We focus more on how sustainable it, it, it is for us, um, which means our homes are something that we can move easily. We we can dismantle our homes for the next place. Our food, mm. with the way we sun dry mm. them, will have 
a space in our house. So we don't focus on, for example, like you, if you enter a, a nomadic um, house, which we we'll call Suduhudo, you'll be fascinated how small the bed is or all the, the, the materials we use for our beds. Most of the house is um, structured for food, for storage, storing food. And then every other right. thing else is we don't we don't plan too much for. Yeah. Mostly our food and our cattle. That's what we focus on. So most of our ingredients are sun dried mm. and all of the dishes I've been sharing on the mat and Fulani Kitchens platform is all inspired by Fulani communities. Even the the ingredients we use, we try to source them um around communities close to Accra. Mm. And then also we try to also practice the process of sun drying, how the Fulanis preserve. So we have a test kitchen where we do we practice everything they do. The concept of dine on a mat, what inspired you to to start that that concept and, and how sure were you that the people in Ghana would, would take to it? It's actually a traditional nomadic pop up restaurant. And I wasn't sure. Okay. <laughs> okay go. I was <laughs> never sure it would work. <laughs> I just took a leap of faith and just dived mm. in. Like, if it works, fine. If not, I'll go back to hotel, <laughs> to hotel jobs. So it was, I just took a leap of faith. But because I'm very passionate about food in general, not just food any food, I'm very passionate about African food and promoting it. And uh, before Fulani Kitchen, I used to share a lot on just African ingredients broadly um, and cuisine. And mm. then for me, it was the moment where I thought that this is my, this is the tribe I come from. And it's slowly disappearing, in my opinion. Um, climate change mm. and all of that, people are, they are also moving way too frequently before they, they were not moving too frequently. But now because of their focus is on mm. where their cattle will grace, so they are moving so fast. So it's even hard. You literally go and visit a Fulani community and then within one month you go back, you will not find them. So for me, that was alarming. Wow. And I thought um, we might wake up one day and finding even a community will be difficult. So... That's my way of preserving my culture and telling the Fulani stories because these people also, they isolate a lot. They don't care about the outside. They are just focused on their stuff, you know. Um, people don't yeah. hear. All they hear is the negative and they are, they are way more than headsmen. They are hospitable people. They, they are amazing. If you visit a community, how do wait? they are so warm. And I, and I felt like it was, it's my responsibility to tell that story. And the only way I could do that is through food and documenting and sharing it with the world through my platform. That's a very beautiful story. So so were there were there any any challenges? I'm sure they were. So maybe what I should be saying is what kind of challenges did you face um, when you were trying to to stand up this this business and introduce this new concept in Ghana? Oh, I still face those. <laughs> they never go away. So one thing is, I just I realized this actually about less than a month ago that some people don't understand, that actually understand my concept. They are expecting, okay, so I went to culinary school. They are expecting um, 
modern cuisine. Even though I'm taking traditional cuisine and 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 trying to add a modern touch to it, but there are certain expectations placed on me. Um, and uh, I feel like a lot of people appreciate the the tradition of the food, the culture, the stories, but they also don't get the concept properly. And that's one thing I struggled with in the beginning because this is b- food that is bold. This is food that is rustic. Um, and someone will walk into my hmm. space and expect like a fine dining, fine dining food. You know what I mean? Like right. a good example I'll give you. Someone was asking me about salads for my last event. And I'm like, we don't even eat salads. Salads don't eat salads. <laughs> <laughs> like our food <laughs> wow. I, I get that I honestly go through that still and I try to really explain that this is food that is bold sometimes I will serve you good testicles I will serve you um, intestines because also people think because we eat cattle yeah, we eat meat a lot no we, when we slaughter we sell we only feed on the offal. So the hmm. head, the neck, the testicles, the intestine, those parts, the feet, that's what we feed on. That's what we wow. sunburn. So most times they're walking, yeah, they're expecting a steak, like a T-bone steak. No, like I'm not that <laughs> chef. I'm trying to share experience. Wow. So that's, that's, that, that has been one of that's my challenges, honestly. In terms of in terms of um, financing and startup costs and what was I mean you didn't have to to rent a, a a space you said you started in in your home but but at some point I'm sure you yes. you started uh, incurring costs so so how did you how did you handle that I've been the business has been investing in itself so it's, we didn't get any like a startup or any grant or anything. The business has been running itself from the beginning. So I started, it's interesting, I actually started with less than $200. Yeah, wow. less than. And as, yeah, and then we started building. So like each event, for like, a, I think like for a whole year and a half, we're not really making profits because we were building the brand we were also um stocking on inventory logistics investments because there are times i will use a particular mat and then and i'll travel and i'll see another mat and i'm like okay this mat is more authentic to use than the other mat and then i'll let go of that other one mm-hmm. i've already invested in so it's been and up till now i still try because i want to get to that point where it's it is as authentic as possible and i feel like I'm still not satisfied mm. yet. I want you to walk in mm. and you feel like you see the respect should speak fully to you, 100%. And I feel like I'm still on that path. So that means mm. more investment. Mm. More investment um, into all the elements. What's your plan for that? So we are currently um, working on having a community itself. Like literally the community itself, we are we are working on that right now. But I will share more details as we go. 
we might have to do a part two of this podcast. <laughs> yes, we might yeah. have to do a part two. So Dine on a Mat kind of launched around the, we had, we had the year of the return in Ghana. Was it intentional to, to start it around the year of the return or was that just coincidence? So it was around way before year of return. It was, it was around two years before year of return. But then we were working with a platform that was okay. really exciting at that point. It's called Tastemakers Africa. It's a really great, um, exciting platform. They started, so they started promoting before December because, you know, the year of return, it took them a whole year in Ghana to actually plan it and structure everything. And then we were part of a lot of the events that were happening in Ghana. We we were fully booked. Yes. We hosted over, we did over 50 dinners, I'm not joking, in a month. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, wow. In a month? In a month. We hosted about 500 people. It was, it was crazy. Wow. But it was it was a really, really good way to Wow. So what did that do for the brand? It really helped the brand in terms of our database, just broadening our network. Our network absolutely we hosted so many interesting people that we are still in contact with now and also financially it was really good for for the brand. And hmm. I keep saying that it was a good thing that happened before COVID because I don't know what would have happened hmm. if it wasn't for that month because that has kept us going now as a business. Talking about COVID, what, what was 2020 like for you? It was, yeah, it was, it was tough. In a way, mentally, because for me, coming from being so busy, I was extremely busy. And 2020 also was supposed to take off because we've, we've worked so hard. We've met so many amazing people. And now, like 2020, we're about to take all that um, value and do and step on bigger things. And then March was hmm. really good. I remember I went to Charleston for this festival, came back, and then boom, shot everything, went on pause. And for me, it was hard because I'm used to just working really really like just going hard um events after events trips after trips i was always traveling i was always hosting events and to just stop and stay indoors alone that was a lot it was really a lot um but i'm so i'm actually also wow. thankful it happened because it, it forced me to really reflect on the business because you're so busy you're just um serving clients you don't have time to really look at your business properly and see what's working long term what's sustainable long term because we're just focused on the short time and there's no time to even go back on the drawing board and 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 reflect and see where you can you could make changes so for me it was important it was hard in the beginning but it gave Mm -hmm. me time to really look at my business and 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 have a proper structure for long time. I'm happy for you and for Fulani Kitchen. Mm. In terms of your staff, do you find that you have to, are you working with, with Fulanis to do the food or are you, are you spending a lot of time training? How, how, how's it going with staffing? I'm using a lot of time training. 
for the Fulanis, I only work with them when I go to these communities. I learn from them. For me, I, they are my teachers. That's how I see them. I go there, they teach me. And I bring okay. it back to the kitchen and try to train others. Because okay. I believe, like, I have to pass those skills down. Um, it doesn't have to be Fulani people in general. So training also I've been doing, but it can be difficult because sometimes you train mm. people and then you want them to meet a particular standard. You train and then they'll leave and then you have to go back and train again, which that struggle is endless. Mm. So, so far, I feel like now we have a more stable team, which also COVID gave me that time to look at it because before, there was no time you you mess up we let you go we replace right. you right and then it, it, it wasn't sustainable and that same person also will mess up and you have to let them go and you have to train so you're always training people but now we had we had time to really pause and take things slowly and train them from ground up from scratch so it's it's been really um hmm. an interesting journey when when I think about it, it's been interesting. Now that we're speaking, you're in Aburi, you're mm-hmm. in in the mountains, in in the village, in Aburi. So so is this a, a new thing? Are you setting up a permanent location? What's 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 going on in Aburi? So I I live here now, um, and the reason why I moved to Aburi because I started working with um, a friend and a brother. Um, his name is Kofi Anku. He's the he's one of the um how's it called? Shareholders, um owner slash owner of Aimen Sapak. And um he has a space because he's building houses in every and selling and land. So he built me a test kitchen here. And he was like, This is the mountains. People people are not traveling right now. It's we are serving the same customers. So why not create an escapism kind of concept. People want to get out of Accra after mm. a long week. They are not traveling. They, they, they need space to breathe. So we have this tree house that's, that he, he built and then we host the events here and then we have the test kitchen down. So for me, I was like, it makes more sense for me to move closer to the kitchen because I really want to just bury myself into the space and create more. And I cannot do it if I'm in Accra and I have to commute back and forth. And it's a beautiful, beautiful space. It's green. It helps me creatively. It's just amazing. Yeah. It's fantastic. So so I know that before before COVID, mm-hmm. um, you were doing a lot of these pop-up restaurants in Ghana. Were, were you popping up in other parts of, of the world or has it just always been in Ghana? Yeah, we've been. We've been around we've been in the states um we've been in europe different places um the only place i think we haven't been is asia yeah we've been around a lot that's great has the restaurant in aburi opened yes so we still decided to keep the concept as a pop-up restaurant so even though we have like a test kitchen but we don't it's not a restaurant you walk into so we promote and we, we get people to drive to every and experience it. So we've hosted two events already because we just started about um, less than two months ago. Okay. Okay. And our next event is going to be um, on the 20th. We have uh, February, we have a masterclass because also I noticed people are looking for things to do. 
And especially when it comes to local ingredients, most of the times mm. they'll come on the mat and some of the things they'll say is that, oh, this is really good. Like, I didn't know that it, would, it could taste this way. And this is my first time trying this. So I'm like, why not start a masterclass where I'll have people come, small numbers, and get them engaged into learning different recipes. Nice. And yeah. Thank you. That's fantastic. I know we've talked about some of the challenges and your 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 passion for mm-hmm. your culture mm-hmm. and spreading it through food. And I, I was just wondering, what, what do you think has been the most fulfilling thing for you in building Fulani Kitchen in Africa? For me, it has been having a guest come to my mat, experience it. And at the end of the day, they walk away saying, this is the best experience they've had since they were in Ghana. Or this is the best food they tried while in Ghana. I remember mm. one incident I'll never forget. It was Harvard Business School, and it was 50 students traveling across Africa. And then they came to my mat. And these people were traveling, by the way, together. They went mm. to Abidjan, they went to Nigeria, Togo. And then on that night, after eating... A group of them, I was because what I'll do most times after the end of the event, I'll go around and talk to everyone on the mat. Everyone. So, and they, the group were like, since mm. we've been traveling for a week now, this is the only moment we got to have a deep conversation with our peers. We didn't, we never had this time to really sit and talk and know each other well, even wow. though we've been traveling. And for me, I thought that was powerful even talking about it now i'm getting goosebumps it was powerful for me i was like wow that's that's really that's really deep so for me those moments for me is the most fulfilling that's amazing so my 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 final question binta i mean this has been a very inspiring conversation i i must say i'm very inspiring i'm very um informative I always like to end with a bit of advice. Mm-hmm. And so for other other women who are trying to build businesses mm-hmm. in Africa, if you could give one piece of advice, what would it be? Believe in yourself. That's all. You have it. Hmm. Really, if, if you don't believe in yourself, no matter how people around you believe in you, it will not work. Like strongly believe in yourself. That will push you. Even the days where you're in doubt, because you get those days. There are days I'll get so emotional because I'm so emotional, like I'm so passionate about what I do that my, I'm connected to it emotionally. And there are days if it's not going well, it affects me emotionally. Like I'll literally break down. But if you believe in yourself, that's enough fuel to keep you going. Thank you so much. Thank you're you welcome. so much, Binta. You're welcome. It's been great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you're not already subscribed, please do so on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to leave us a review so we know how we're doing. I'm Akego Koye, and you have been listening to African Business Stories.